Hi, my name is Rhett Barden, and I'm the lead pastor of One Life Church, and I want to thank you for joining us today. At One Life Church, we exist to help you know God, find freedom, discover your purpose, and make a difference. For more information on how you can be a part, please visit us online at olc.church. Enjoy the message. Again, everyone, it's so great to have you with us. If you've just walked in the door, I just want to say a big hello and thank you for being a part of our service today. Hey, before we jump in to what we have in store today, can you do this for me all across the room at the Nampa Civic Center? Can you throw your hands together today and welcome our online church family? Come on, let our online church family know how much you love them. Come on, you guys, you can do a little bit better than that. This is your family, let them know. Yeah. Hey, if you're joining us online, it is so good to have you. And just as I mentioned, you are our family. We love you and we appreciate you so much. And I'm just so thankful that you would take the time to be with us today, wherever you might be. I know it's a Labor Day weekend. Some of y'all getting your last little camping fix up into the mountains. Don't know why, because of all the smoke and haze. But hey, we love you and we're praying for you. Uh, but we're having a lot of fun here today. And can I just take a moment and and I just want to thank all those who are online for sending us your prayer request. I know there's a way on our online connection card you can click it and let us know how we can be praying for you because that's what exactly what we've been doing. Um, it's been an honor and a privilege for me and our prayer team to pray for you. I know some of you have been praying for wisdom on some next steps, maybe with some job opportunities. Some of you have been praying for healing because some of you who are watching us today, you might be in the hospital and you're just asking God to bring healing in your body. And we want you to know as a family of God, we have been lifting your name up before the Lord believing for a miracle of God to be infiltrating your spirit and your life and that your body will line up according to his word that says you are healthy, whole, and healed. Can I get a good amen from everybody in the room? So we love you and we're grateful that you're along for the ride today, however you're joining us. Again, all those at the Nampic Civic Center, throw your hands together and let our online church family know we love them so much. Well, all right, you guys, very excited about a few things. Want to announce one thing before we jump into it and that is small groups. Everybody say small groups. What are small groups? They're an opportunity for you to connect in life-giving community. Why is that important? Because God's word teaches us that if we'll get in life-giving community, my friends, we will experience life change. And small groups aren't something we do here. It isn't a program that we thought, hey, this is a good idea. Let's do this. No, small groups are a part of God's plan and they're a part of God's plan for your life to experience your best life. And so therefore, we are not a church with small groups. We are a church of small groups. And today's an exciting exciting day because today, my friends, our online directory for our fall small group semester has gone live. So you can go to olc.church, click a button that says small groups, or if you're following along in your notes today, you can click on the online directory button there. You'll probably see about 18 opportunities right now that are available. Now, our small group semester doesn't start until next Sunday, but we wanted to give you the opportunity to have a week so you could kind of shop the groups and, uh, and just kind of see what's available so you can make a plan to be a part of that. Also want to remind all the small group leaders in the room and those who are online who have yet to register your small groups, I want to encourage you, it is not too late. In fact, I know there was a couple of people who said, hey, Pastor Red, I have not registered my small group yet, but it will be happening this week. So I want to encourage you, if that's you, register your small groups. Everybody say register. register. 
register your small groups. Why is it important? Because we need you to create as many opportunities for people to experience the love and the life-giving message of Jesus. How? Through you, through your story. Through. By the way, that's what evangelism is, everybody. Evangelism isn't standing up on a stage and telling people what they should do and how they should do it. No, evangelism is simply building a relationship with somebody and sh- simply sharing your story. And for those where uh, those of you in the room or maybe even online, if small groups have been a part of changing your life, can I get a good amen from everybody right now? Come on. Amen. Put some hearts on there online. Throw some hand claps, whatever it may look like online. All right, you guys. Well, we are a message note-taking church, which simply means we love to take notes here at One Life Church. Uh, I don't just want to inspire you on a Sunday. Of course, that is important. But I want to put some tools in your hands to help you Monday through Saturday uh, when life hits the fan. Come on, you know what I'm saying? And you need to turn to God's word because I'm telling you, if you're just coming to church on Sunday and just experiencing a message and that's the only message you're getting from God, my friend, you are missing out on some really good truth throughout the week. Can I get a good amen from all the note takers if you're enjoying the notes, everybody? There's a few, there's two of you in the room. Thank you so much for the two. I love you so much. I go through all this work just for you and I want you to know I will continue to do it just for you, okay? And so, so we're in this series called It Is Written and today is part two of that series. And I just wanna start off by saying this. I just need you to know that it's the greatest desire of my heart as a pastor and as your friend. Honestly, it's just to create moments for you to experience the presence of God. I'm gonna say that again. My heart, my desire is not that you just come and experience a service. My heart and my desire isn't just so you can come and just be entertained on a Sunday. Like our team is amazing, by the way. Our production team, our worship team, our hospitality team, our kids life team. How many are thankful for our kids life team? Amen, everybody. Come on. And so our teams are amazing and they're doing everything they know how to do to create an opportunity and a, to create an experience for you to experience blessing and to have value added to your life. But as much and as important as all that is, none of that changes a life. What changes your life is the presence of the living God. It's the presence of the living God. And it comes through one person. His name is Jesus. It's Jesus. He's the son of God. He's the savior of the world and he loves you so much that he gave his life for you. Why? So that you can just go to church and have a good time on a Sunday and go live however you want to live throughout the week? No, he did everything he could to provide for you so that you could have an intimate relationship with God so that you could experience life and hope and joy and peace in the fullness that is God. This is why Jesus came and that is why when we planted this church, My friends, I just needed to know that our number one goal was simply to introduce you to Jesus. Because, listen, I don't want to introduce you to church. I want to introduce you to somebody who can change your life. And so our goal, if you want to ask me, everything that we do is designed to introduce you to Jesus, but not only just to introduce you to Jesus Christ, but it's to encourage you to take steps along that journey and to take steps. Because I'm convinced, my friends, that if, if I can lead you in a way to where you're passionately pursuing the presence of God through praise and worship, through prayer and conversations with God, and through his word, then your life will be changed. Your family will be changed. And so this series is all about doing my best. Listen, I'm just human. Okay, I'm just like you. And I want to do my best by the help of the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to present a message to you that, and through this series to help you fall in love with God's 
word, to fall in love with God's word. Why is this important? Well, let's jump into it because Jesus said this in Matthew 7, verse 24 through 27. He says, guys, everyone who hears these words of mine, by the way, it's not talking about somebody who just comes to church on a Sunday and who carries a Bible. No, but everyone who hears these words of mine and actually puts them into practice, like makes it a part of their everyday life and is passionately pursuing God's word, that person is like a wise man or a wise woman. Who did what? Who built his or her house on the rock. Everybody say rock. It says the rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet, because it was built on the rock, check this out, it did not fall. Why? Because it had its foundation on the rock that is Christ Jesus and his word. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't put them into practice, well, you're like a foolish man or a foolish woman who built their house on the sand. It says that house, when the rain came down, The streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house. Well, that house, that life, that family, their finances fell with a great crash. So my hope today, my friends, is to encourage you that when the storms of life come, when the wind and the rains come, my friend, that you won't get washed away in the culture that is the chaos that in the world that we're living in today. My hope is that your life will be built on the rock that is Christ Jesus through his word that will remain firm despite the situation, despite the, the circumstances that are surrounding you. Through his word, you will remain firm. And this is why it is my hope that you can fall in love with God's word today. Because I just need to be honest with you. Here's the truth, everybody. Look in my eyes. The truth is, the rain is coming. The storm is near. In fact, it's not only coming, like it's here. Can we just be honest for a moment? And somebody's like, well, Pastor Red, I mean, could you just be a little bit more positive today? I mean, it's Labor Day weekend. I was hoping to be a little bit more encouraged. Can you be a little bit more positive? Okay, I'll be a little bit more positive. You ready for this? I am positive the storms of life are coming. And in fact, the storms are here. Jesus said this, John 16, Guys, everything I've taught you, this is Jesus. Everything I've taught you, in other words, everything that's in this book, the Bible, is so that the, one thing we're all looking for, so that the peace, which is in me, in Christ, will do what? Will be in you and will give you the great confidence as you do what? As you rest in me. And here's some really good news. For in this unbelieving world, Jesus says, hey, You're going to experience trouble and sorrow. Red, how in the world is that good news? Are you serious right now? It's good news because of the rest of it. You ready? But I want you to be courageous. For I, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, have conquered the world. Take heart. Be encouraged. For although you may have trouble, although you may have sorrow, I have overcome the world. And if I've overcome the world and my spirit lives in you, guess what, my friends? You and I will be overcomers as well. That's a great place to say amen, everybody. I want you to be courageous, man. I want you to experience this peace. I want you to have your life built on his word. So the question is, how in the world do I live that kind of life? That's a great question. And I believe, honestly, that it comes with better understanding the Bible. 
I honestly believe that if you're ever going to live this thing out, it comes with having a better understanding, not just in knowing, like just in your head, but an understanding and an experience in God's word in your heart. Why? Because when you understand something, check this out, you ready for it? When you understand something, you love it more. Think about this. My wife and I, we've been married 15 years, going on 16, baby. Very excited. I love that. Um, Last service, people clapped, and I told them, I said, don't clap for me, clap for her. She's the one that had to put up with me for so many years, okay? Um, And so we've been married 15 years, and I thought I loved my wife when we first got married, and I did. But can I just tell you, over time, I have grown to love her even more. Why? Because our relationship has grown, and I've come to understand her more. How? Through conversations. Conversations. Just the other day, we were sitting and talking, and I was doing something that I'm not really good at it, and guess what it is? It's called listening. <laughs> I have any other men in the room that are horrible at listening? Am I the only one? Don't leave me alone up here, okay? <laughs> uh, she was talking, and I was listening, and she was sharing a story with me that I'd never heard before, and I was like, oh my goodness, that makes me love you so much more, and we've been doing life for 15 years, and I'm still coming to know her more. Why? Because we're having conversations, and here's the thing about a conversation. It's a two-way street. Think about, hey, guys, I'm trying to help you out. This is not a marriage uh, sermon by any means, but uh, conversations consist of talking and listening. That's what a conversation consists of. And all I want you to know is that when it comes to your relationship with God, it's no different. God not only wants you to talk to him, and I think a lot of times we're really good at bringing our prayer requests and our needs before God, but a lot of times we're not very good at listening to God wanting to speak to us. We're not very good at hearing his voice. Why is that? Well, it's because God speaks to us. How? Through his word. And the reason many of us aren't experiencing the voice of God in our life is because we're not in the very thing that God uses to speak to us, which is his word. We're not reading his word. And here's the thing. Every single one of you in this room, I know and online, you love God. You're passionate about God. It's like you want to read God's word. It's like you want to do it, but it's like it's just hard to understand. And you get into it and you're thinking, man, I don't like it's kind of out of context. I don't really understand what's happening right now. And I, I get it. I get it. And I've been there. And so I want to help you with that. And so I believe that if I can help you have a better, clearer understanding of how this Bible is laid out and what it is, that it will help you enjoy your relationship with God. But more than that, it will also help you enjoy the time that you get to spend with God in his word. I want, when it comes to reading his word, to be like the air you breathe. Like you cannot wait to take the next breath. I want it when it comes to reading God's word that it's like, as much as you're looking forward to going to Texas Roadhouse today and getting that Dallas filet, eight ounce filet, medium rare, come on, where you at? You know what I'm saying? Like, I want you to look forward to getting into God's word like that steak dinner this afternoon after church. So today what I want to do is I'm just going to do my best. Again, I'm human and this is not going to be the most eloquent message ever, but I want to do my absolute best to help you better understand the Bible. And I'm going to start with this. And that is the word Bible comes from a Greek word that means book, okay? I'm going to be very practical today, but I honestly believe that through the practicality today that your eyes are going to be open to see things you've never seen before to inspire you to want to get into God's word. So let's just talk about the Bible for a minute. It's not just a little B book. It's a capital B book. It's the most read most translated in every other language and is the best-selling book of all time in the history of the world. Why? Because it's the holy, inspired, infallible word of God. That is why. Check this out. The Bible was written over a period of 1,600 years 
in over a dozen countries on three continents by people from all walks of life. The letters and the stories within it were written by, check this out, poets, prophets, princes, kings, sailors, soldiers, attorneys, doctors, farmers, scholars, shepherds, priests, historians, fishermen, tax collectors, and businessmen. It was written not only by all these different people, but it was written by diverse situations. Many of them were in caves, ships, homes, palaces, prisons, and deserts. So here's the question of the day. In the, if the Bible was written by that many people in that many places over that kind of length of span of 1,600 years, then how in the world did they put together the same story with no error? I'm going to answer this question in extreme detail next week. But for today, where I want to go is the bottom line is I just need you to know this. And that is, although there were about 40 different writers, there was only one author. His name is God. There's one author. And so men held the pen, but God spoke the words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And throughout time, what did men do? They wrote down the things they saw the things they heard, and the things they experienced about their God. Everything throughout Scripture, throughout men who wrote it through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, all testify to God's story. The Bible is simply an autobiography of God. The Bible is a story that is made up about the stories of God moving through people's lives throughout history. This is what the Bible is. In fact, Paul tells us this in 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. All scripture, in other words, all of God's story written through men by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Bible that we call today, all scriptures is God breathed and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness so that the servant of God, that you and me, so that we may be thoroughly equipped for what? For every good work. For every good work in what? In our life, in our marriage, in our home, in our finances, in our health, in our emotions, and in our business. God wants to bless you, not just so that you can be blessed, but so that you can be a blessing to the world around you. How does it happen? It happens through the God-breathed inspiration of the Holy Spirit through the written word of God. This is how it happens. It's not going to happen any other way. And I'm telling you, one of the greatest revelations that I've ever received that I'm simply trying to help you see today, and that it's my hope that you walk out of here with, the greatest revelation that I ever saw when it comes to reading the Bible is the fact that it was not written in chronological order. Like every time I used to read the Word when I gave my heart to Christ, I thought it was written in sequential order. And then I'm reading, I'm like, wait, wait, hold on, that doesn't make sense. This story, how did it jump from here to there? And so the Bible doesn't read sequentially. The books of the Bible are actually grouped by tithes. And the reason the Bible is so challenging to us is because we're trying to read it like we would a modern day story from page one to page 233 or whatever it might be. Right. And I just need you to understand that when you come to understand this, hopefully the light bulb will go off. And just like it did for me, I'm telling you, it will change everything. So I'm going to do my best in the next couple minutes to break down in the most practical way I can the books of the Bible, starting in the Old Testament, New Testament on the front end, and then on the back end of this message, what I want to do for you is kind of give you a picture of the story of the Bible. So the first five books of the Bible are considered law books. It's Genesis through Deuteronomy. The reason they're considered law books is because the law was given by God to Moses. 
And so since the law was given by God to Moses, they call it the law books. And so in these first five books of the Bible, maybe you've heard a fancy religious word called Pentateuch. That just simply means five, right? And so in these five books, you're going to see the story of creation. You're going to see the story of Noah. You're going to see the story of Joseph. You're going to see the story of Moses. You're going to see the story of the Ten Commandments and the law. And you're going to see the stories that lead all the way up to right before Moses enters the promised land. And so these are the first five books of the Bible, but then it goes into this next section of the Bible, which is all historical. And in the historical portion of the Bible, all these books are grouped together. There's 12 books. It goes from Joshua through Esther. And this is the story of Israel's history. God's chosen people after the death of Moses. It begins with Joshua, right? And Joshua, come on, Baptist, where are you at? Joshua led the battle of Jericho and the walls came tumbling down. Come on, y'all. Anybody grow up in Sunday school around here? Anybody? One or two of you, you get it? So you're going to read a lot of stories about Samson. You're going to see stories about David and Goliath. And these are all amazing stories that we have grown up to love and to cherish of God's promise and how he moved through people in history. And so the book of Esther, I need you to know this. This is important. The book of Esther, it's kind of right there in the middle of the Old Testament, but it's actually where all the historical things end (laughs) in the Bible in the Old Testament. But we know it's like, wait a minute, hold on, how does that happen? Because there's more books after the book of Esther, right? Well, it's because there's another section of grouping in the Bible, and that is called the poetical section. In this poetical section are five books. It's Job through the Song of Solomon. So you get Job, you get Psalms, you get Proverbs, you get Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon. And what I need you to see, check this out, this is where it gets good. What I need you to see is that these books in the poetical section were actually written during the historical section. In other words, the people that were writing these were alive during the historical section of the Bible. So like when you're in the historical section of the Bible and you're reading maybe 1 Samuel chapter 19 where King Saul is trying to kill King David, then you could kind of turn to Psalm 59 and see that Psalm 59 is all about David being scared to death going, God, deliver me. Deliver me from the hands of my enemies. I didn't do anything wrong. I need your help, God. And so this is fun and this is fascinating. And so this is why I would highly encourage you. My wife does this and I've started to do this. I would highly encourage you to download on the YouVersion app. What is the YouVersion app? It's a free Bible app. And on that app, they have plans. Hit the plan button, search chronological Bible, one year Bible. And what's really cool about the chronological Bible is that it actually, when like when you get to 1 Samuel, it inserts Psalm 59 and so forth. It takes what's actually happening in history and pulls from the poetic sections as well as the prophetic sections that I'm about to tell you about. And this, I'm telling you, it changes everything when you come to realize this. And the fact is, I didn't know this. Like the things I'm teaching you today, as practical as they are, I had no idea until like 10 years in to my experience with Jesus. And when it came, I was like, whoa, light bulb moment. Now, no wonder it didn't make sense. Now I'm starting to understand how it's been compilated in, in groups. And it helped me a lot. And I'm just telling you, I believe it will help you today. So out of the poetical section, it goes through another section called the prophetical section. And this is a prophetical book, or a grouping of books. It's 17 in all. And even those are divided out into five major and 12 minor Why are they major? Why are they minor? Are these more important people and lesser people? No. You know why they call them major? Five majors? Just simply because they're really, really, really long. (laughs) 
<laughs> and the 12 minor, they're really, really short. In fact, Obadiah is like 23 verses or so. I mean, it'd take you 30 seconds to read a whole chapter or a whole book of the Bible. And I'm just saying, so this is the prophetical books. And again, what I want you to understand and see is that all the prophets that wrote these prophetical books that have been grouped together, every single one of these prophets, they lived in the historical section of the Bible. I'm just saying, when you begin to realize this, that the Bible is not in sequential order, but it's organized according to sections, and that each section has their place on a specific timeline, it will change everything. And my friends, I just hope that this helps. I'm just doing the best that I can in a practical way. Is anybody getting out, anything out of this so far this morning? Okay, okay. So then we get a period of about 400 years of silence. And, but it's silent in the Bible, but in history, history has recorded a lot of things that were happening. And so the Jews come out of exile. You can read about the Jews coming out of exile in the last book of the historical section, which is Esther and Ezra and Nehemiah and so forth. Um, but in those 400 years of science, you can read about it in the history books. In fact, if you graduated from high school, you should have read it or college. And it's the Greek conquest, right? You got Alexander the Great, and then you got another conquest of the Romans. And we know the Romans were in conquest because why? The Bible begins in the New Testament. When Jesus was born, we know that the Romans had inhabited Jerusalem, right? And they were doing consensuses and stuff. So see, that's where the New Testament begins after the 400 years of silence and Rome is in control. And so let's look at the New Testament for a second, just trying to break it down for you. The New Testament starts with what we call the Gospels. Now, what are the Gospels? The Gospel is a fancy word for good news. I'm starting with some good news. And there are four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And by the way, I'm not trying to insult your intelligence, but I didn't know this when I first started reading the Bible. I thought Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were all four completely different stories. But check this out. They're not four completely different stories. They're the same story told through the lens of four different people. It's the same story. It's all about the life of Jesus. In fact, it's kind of like you looking at this water bottle right now. Like we're all looking at the same thing, but you see one side of it and I see the other. You see the label and I see the back side of the label. All looking at the same thing, but we all have completely different perspectives of what we're seeing. That is the gospels of Jesus Christ, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But Jesus, he died, he resurrected, he's in heaven. He's the reason we're here today and celebrating and experience all that he's done for us. And then he sends the power of the Holy Spirit spirit because he said man I never will I leave you never will I forsake you I gotta send somebody who's better and who you need because I can't be in all places at once because now I'm fully God but I'm fully human and you need a helper so he sends the Holy Spirit and the church of Jesus Christ is born and we see this in guess what the next book in the New Testament called Acts it's the Acts of God it's the historical record of the first church and I love this book for many reasons. Number one is because this is where we get the biblical model of what the New Testament church should look like. And in fact, this is the inspiration for everything that we do here at One Life Church. It comes from the biblical model that we see in the historical record of the book of Acts. And in fact, we believe here at One Life Church that the same things that happen in the book of Acts are still alive and living today in the men and women of God who seek it out. I'm telling you, the same things happened then, happen today. Can I get a good amen from everybody in the room this morning? And so during this time, this historical record, the church is growing. The good news of Jesus Christ is expanding. People are giving their heart to Christ and they're going out and going, man, I got to tell somebody about this, man. I'm going to go plant a church. And so church planters were raised up. Church planters were sent out. And a lot of church planters, they stayed in one place for about two years. And then they kind of passed the torch and the baton on and they went on to do some other works. And then the way they would stay in communication with a pastor is that, guess what? They would write letters 
Why? Because text and email and social media and Facebook and all that stuff didn't exist back then, right? They had to write it out and send it by messenger. And so this is where we get the next 21 books of the Bible that we call epistles. Man, it makes you sound really smart when you say epistles, doesn't it? Can I just tell you what that word stands for? It's a really fancy word for letters. Letters, that's what it means. And so the next 21 books are letters. This is Romans through Jude. And these are letters written by the church planners to the church. And again, I need you to understand something. If you're reading 1 Corinthians, if you're in Ephesians, if you're in Philippians, when you're reading these stories and these letters, you need to take it into the context that these men were alive during the historical record of the New Testament church in the book of Acts. So as you're reading Acts, you can see as they began Paul and Silas going on their missionary journeys or Timothy and all these different people that Acts represents, then you can turn to the letter that they wrote to the church and kind of bring it all together. And these letters are so valuable. Why? Because they teach us how to be the light of the world. They teach us how to be the salt of the earth. They teach us how to love well, serve well. They point out things in our life that, oh, I didn't know that was there. I need to get rid of it. Why? Because it's going to make me a better person. And this is why we take so much time as the New Testament church to teach the 21 valuable letters today. And of course, all these 21 lead us up to the last book that nobody likes to talk about anymore. That's the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation, it is the 66th book of the entire Bible. It's the book of prophecy of the last days, which I believe we're living in, and eternity. So the word revelation comes from a Greek word called apocalypto. And this is where we get our word apocalypse. Right, And so uh, what happened is John, a disciple of Jesus, was actually banished and punished for his faith in Christ. And they isolated him to an island called the Isle of Patmos. In fact, that island still exists today. If you were to Google it, you're like, man, that is a beautiful place. But can I just tell you, it wasn't beautiful when John was there. The water was clean, but there was nothing else there. Okay, And so John's on this island, banished in exile, and he gets a revelation from the Son of God, Jesus Christ himself. You can read about it. And so what does it do? It prophesies. Jesus showed him what his return is going to look like and what the end of the world is going to look like. And I'm just going to be very honest. The, the, the revelation in specifically is very difficult to understand. In fact, I think a lot of people don't want to teach it because there's so much kind of division, even within the church, of how people kind of interpret it. Because there are people who love God who are both ends of the spectrum of what they believe in how this whole thing is going to play out. And so it's very difficult to understand. So anyway, what I've done here is I've tried to practically lay out the Old Testament and New Testament to see how they're grouped together by type from historical sections to the poetic to the prophetical and all of those different things to hopefully help you because this has helped me tremendously when it comes to wanting to read my word. Now it's like, oh, I get it. This makes sense now. And I want that light bulb moment to go off for you today. So as I close, this is what I want to do. I want to close with a picture I want to show you a glimpse of really what the plot of the entire Bible is all about. Because from Old Testament to New Testament, there's one story that is being written. And in fact, if you were to break it down and you're looking at the Old Testament, there are five major events that happen in the Old Testament. And then as you begin to study the New Testament, guess what? You notice there are five major events that happen in the New Testament. And so the Bible calls this the mirror image. Everybody say mirror image. It's the mirror image of God's story. And so let's, I'm going to take you on this journey. 
And if you're watching online, you're going to see the screen kind of change. You're going to see this kind of go up off to my right, your left. But if you're in the room today and you're following along in your notes, that will help you. But I think by watching the screen, it will make a little bit more sense as you see this being unveiled. So let's start at the beginning. Genesis chapter 1 through 2, we see God and righteous man in paradise. God and righteous man. Now notice, what is righteous? Righteous means perfect. Righteous means sinless. And I just need you to understand that when God created the world and he created mankind, he created it with perfectness. It was perfect fellowship. There was no sin. There was no shame. There was no guilt. There was no pain. In fact, the garden that he put man and woman in, the Garden of Eden that we've all heard about, it was a perfect garden, man. Like you didn't have, there wasn't rain or it was amazing. There was an ecosystem built within the ground where streams begin to rise up into the grass. Come on, somebody. Sounds amazing, right? And so Adam was just in charge of managing all of this. And I just need you to understand that God always intended for you to be living in a perfect world with perfect fellowship with God. It was his dream. It is his dream. And this is what he wants for your life. It's this open fellowship of enjoying all that he's created alongside enjoying a relationship with him. This has been his intent. But what happened? Well, and stop there. The story continues in the Old Testament. Major event number two is that Satan and sin enter the picture. You can read about this in Genesis 3 through 5. So best way to think about sin is this. Sin separates. Everybody say sin separates. Sin separates. That's what it does. And so what happened is God is a holy God. And when sin entered, guess what happened? Now we, you and I, we become unholy. But God, he remains holy. He's never changing. And so what happens with the true definition of holiness is that unholiness, what's happening now in our life because of Satan and sin and our disobedience, now our unholiness has created a gap and a distance between us and God. And so some of you, if you're in this room or you're watching online, some of you, maybe you feel distant from God. The reason is, it's because there's something that has separated you and it's called sin. And I just want you to know that myself and all those who are in the Civic Center and those along with you joining online, we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of God's glorious standard. But thanks be to God that we're not left alone in this mess, that God made a plan from the beginning. His name was Jesus. Jesus closes the gap. He bridges the gap between man and God. Because of his death, burial, and resurrection in his life that was sinless, the payment has been done. It's been paid in full. My friend, you have no more reason to carry guilt, shame, and pain. My God, because of his grace, has brought a restoration and a reconciliation that is the miracle of salvation in your life, in my life. How? By going to church? No. By doing religious things? No. By simply putting our faith in a God who has done great things for us and loved us. We don't do anything. We simply sit back, relax, and receive what has already been done. That is good news, everybody. Can I get a good amen? And so if you're feeling distant today, I've got good news for you. At the end of this service, we're going to give you an opportunity to allow Jesus to bridge that gap in your life. And I can't wait to get to that moment. But here's the thing. Anytime sin takes over, you ready for it? Chaos ensues. Like, I don't even have to tell you that because many of you in this room, you've experienced it from doing stupid. And by the way, we're all one step away from stupid. If you don't think you are, you're already there, right? God bless you. When sin enters, stupid happens, chaos ensues. Thus, look at the condition of our world today. This is what happened, third major event in the Old Testament. And God says this, he says, no, 
I don't know if I can contend with man any longer. In fact, this is where God judges the world and destroys the world by water. In fact, you can read about this in Genesis chapter 6 through chapter 9. In fact, he looked out and he said, he actually said this. You can read it. He said, I regret that I have made man. I regret that I have made humanity. The God of the universe thought, wow, it's just not going to work out. But Noah, but Noah, what? He found favor in the eyes of God. How? Because he was the only person on the planet at that time who had a love for God in his heart out of the millions of people that populated the planet at that time. And because Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord, God decided, you know what? I'm going to raise Noah and his family up and I'm going to bring the wrath. I'm going to bring water. I'm going to destroy. I'm going to judge the world, but I'm going to then bless Noah and his family with hopes that they'll repopulate the world and we'll start this system all over again. But unfortunately, the rest is history, right? Because of sin just being seated in the heart of man, no matter how good you are, because of sin, what happens? They went right back into sin, and guess what happened? Chaos continued to ensue and came back. And they literally created in the Old Testament, you ready for this? A one-world government system. A one-world, you can read about this in Genesis chapter 10 through 11. In this season of life, they had the same language, they had the same financial system, and they had the same goal. They're like, we don't need God. <laughs> no, we'll just become like God. In fact, we'll build a tower. We got this. We're good enough. We're going to build a tower and reach the heavens, and the world can look at us, and we will be like God. And let me tell you something. God is a jealous God, and he will not let that stand. So guess what he did? He came down, got involved in the mix, confused their languages, and there at that point, the Tower of Babel, the nations of the world were born. And so what happened? The families that were speaking one language, all of a sudden their language has changed. And now everybody's starting to group with, okay, I can understand you. I can't understand them anymore. And so they begin to group and move off and build communities in different parts of the planet. And so now God says, okay, I obviously need to get involved. And so God begins to be very intentional in this process. And so God creates a system. He chooses one people. The people that he chooses are God's holy people. It's the nation of Israel. And so a nation of Israel, if you put that on the screen, my friend, I want everybody to see this. There you go. Uh, He divided Israel into 12 tribes, and these are God's holy people. And he decided, you know what? I'm going to give these one people my laws, my instructions, so that we can have a relationship and that we can be close to each other. But here's, here's the problem. The laws were written on stone. They weren't written on each other's hearts. And because they were written on stone, what happened is although they had them, they couldn't figure out. They're like, man, I want to do it, but I can't do it. Don't know why I can't do it, but this is hard. It's external. It's called religion. It's called rules and regulation. Like, man, I, I can't do that. And so it was a got to, man. I got to serve God. I got to do these things. But I, they didn't want to get to. They didn't want to. And so if you ever wanted to buy the Old Testament along with the New Testament, here's the difference. The Old Testament is all about a religious approach to God. The New Testament is all about a relational approach to God. This is how the two are divided. And I just need you to understand something. God knew this from the beginning. He knew that you and I had to experience the pain of rules and regulation that is religion for us to see that that would not work to fulfill our lives, to bring us into a holy right standing with God. And because God knew that, God made a plan 
Are you ready for this? There's only one way to have a relationship with God, and that is, you ready for it? Drum roll, please throw it on the screen, is that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the hope of the world. And he's the one that begins to bridge the gap between religion and relationship. He's at the top and center. This whole story is all about Jesus Christ. He died. He rose again to pay for your sin, to pay for my sin. He bridged the gap between God and mankind, Jesus Christ. Woo! Thank you, Jesus. This is good news, everybody. So now, check this out. This is where you start to begin to see the reflection in the image, in the mirror, between the five major events in the Old Testament and the five major events that are happening in the New Testament. You ready for this? So instead of having 12 tribes, Jesus said, let's do something different. Let's create a church. Let's call the church God's holy people. And let's, let's use 12 disciples to change the world. Everybody. How cool is that? And now the laws aren't written on stone anymore. You can read about this in Hebrews 8. No, no, no. The law is no longer written on stone, but the laws are written on our hearts. And now it's called the miracle. It's a transformation that happens that you can't explain. You can only experience. You know, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, something happens. Like, oh my goodness. I used to, that was really hard to stay away from, but now I don't even want to do it anymore because God, I'm experiencing something. I'm experiencing your love. And, and now I just, the, I, the desire is gone, man. And some things, some desires take a little bit long. You go through a process, right? But I'm just saying something happens, something transforms. And by the way, if you're wondering where we are in this point of history, we are in this point of history right now in the New Testament. Now, here's the sad truth. As many people are rejecting this. And because many people are rejecting this, guess what's happening? Chaos. Chaos in the world, chaos in the nations, chaos in our own country, division. Chaos is ensuing. The world's going another way again. You know where it's going? Let's look at the mirror image. And by the way, you don't even have to read the Bible to see this. Just turn on the news. Just do some Google searches. And that is now we're returning to this one world government system. You can read about this in Revelation chapter 6 through 19. Guys, we're seeing the infrastructure right now of this happening in our generation. This whole idea of this one world government system. And I just need you to know as you read in Revelation that the Antichrist, the Antichrist is the one who opposes God, is going to take the seat and the throne in Jerusalem and, and claim that he is God. He's going to be the broker in all this when it goes down. And when he does, he's going to introduce a new system of buying and selling. And in the Bible, in Revelation, it talks about the mark of the beast. And what is the mark of the beast? It's something that everybody takes on their head or on their hand, right? And what does it do? It allows them, for those who have the mark on the head of their hand, they'll be able to buy, they'll be able to sell, they'll be able to do life for everyone who takes the mark. And some of you, if you're living in denial and you don't think that we're already in this time and in this generation, do a quick Google search called Amazon Palm Pay. Amazon Palm Pay. Right now, I mean, if you Google that, you don't do it in service, but maybe do it afterwards. If you'll Google that, they've created like a little two-minute cute little video that kids love to watch. And it's, it's, so, it's almost adoring. It's like, oh, that's just so simple. And so they've actually implemented this in Whole Foods across the nation right now. And there's select markets where they're doing this, where basically you go in, you put your hand out on a screen, boop, and you pay for your food. Y'all, we're living in this generation right now. The infrastructure is being put in place. Don't be in denial 
This is happening right now. But here's what I need you to understand. I don't want you to be scared. I don't want you to be afraid. The book of Revelation was never meant to put the fear of God in you. It was to prepare you for a moment of incredible news. It's to prepare, prepare you to point you so that we can look to the heavens, that we can look to the skies and we begin to see all these signs of what's happening in the nations in the world. And by the way, this is not a political message, but there is a reason that Russia is so caught up in the Middle East right now because they are a part of this process according to biblical prophecy over 2,000 years ago. And I don't have time to get into all that, but it's happening at a record pace right now. And you know what that tells me, my friends? We got some good news coming because according to God's word, you know what it says? It says the signs are here. Look to the skies because in the twinkling of an eye, in a moment, like a flash of lightning, Jesus Christ is going to rapture his church, his bride. We're going to go and have the marriage supper of the lamb for seven years with Jesus Christ having a good time. Wow, what happens? The world will be judged and destroyed. Show this one. Put it on the screen, guys. The world will be judged and destroyed. With water? No, with fire. The purification that God's going to bring. You and I won't be there. Why? Because we put our faith in Jesus Christ. God's going to take us home. We're going to have an incredible experience. The wedding supper of the Lamb. It's going to be amazing. And what's going to happen here on earth, we won't be here for it, but the fire and two-thirds of the world is going to be destroyed. It's going to be incredible. Mass chaos. The Holy Spirit will no longer be on the earth. And it's going to be very hard to live out a life for Christ if you're left behind and didn't make that decision. But then, here's the good news. After the seven years of tribulation that you and I, I believe with all my heart and the scripture show that we won't be a part of, but with all that, guess what's gonna happen? We're gonna come back with Jesus Christ and his triumphal return. He's gonna be riding on a white horse, eyes of fire, sword of the spirit coming out of his mouth. And by the breath of Jesus Christ, Satan and sin will be destroyed and they will exit the world. Come on, everybody, that is good news. God will create a new heaven and a new earth. And check this out, mirror image. And then we're back to where it all began. God and redeemed man. Put it on the screen, please. Redeemed man in paradise. Redeemed man. The best word for paradise in our English is resort. Come on, somebody. God and us and all of our families, we're going to live in an all-inclusive resort that's going to be perfect. I don't care what kind of vacation you think is amazing. It is not going to compare to the glorious standard that Jesus has for you and for me in a perfect world, in a perfect heaven. My friends, you are not going to be floating on some cloud with a harp and just singing music with a choir for the rest of your life. No, my friends, that is the pure definition of hell. Okay? That's not going to happen. It's going to be glorious. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be amazing. And this, this is the mirror image of the gospel, of the Bible. This is the plot. This is the story. So I want to close with a couple thoughts, with a couple questions that I hope will pull this thing all together. So if this is the plot, I'm going to ask a question. Don't put it on the screen. But what's the subject? Think about it. Oh, Pastor Red, that's easy. I mean, we're the subject, right? I mean, God's been wanting to reach out to us, and, well, we're the object. No, but the subject of the entire Bible, you ready for this? Here it is. The subject is Jesus. The subject is Jesus. To him who sits upon the throne and unto the Lamb be blessing, glory, honor, power, and praise 
forevermore. This thing's not about us. We're not the subject. Jesus Christ is the subject. Jesus said this in John chapter 5, 39, when it comes to the scriptures, he says, guys, you've searched the scriptures. Time out. What scriptures is he talking about? Because when Jesus was talking, the New Testament didn't exist yet. <laughs> He's talking about the Old Testament. He said, hey guys, you've been, you've been searching the Old Testament law. You've been, <laughs> you've been looking at it, thinking that if you just follow these rules and these regulations and do enough holy things to just go to church enough and pray enough and give enough and show up enough and do enough good things that maybe, maybe, maybe you're just gonna experience eternal life. No, the whole point of the Bible, the whole point of God's word, Old Testament and New Testament, now the whole point is that the scriptures point to me, Jesus says. There are over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament, over 1,600 years of people who live in different timelines who have never met that prophesied to exact detail of the things that Jesus Christ would go to, go through for you and for me. Blows my mind. It's so accurate. There is no error. It is infallible and it is holy and it is true. So Pastor, why is all this important? Because as a church in this day, in this age, in this trouble, in this sorrow, I want you to be courageous and I want you to stand firm and be encouraged that he's overcome the world. But I need you to understand that when you read the Bible, you need to read the Bible looking for Jesus. Because if you want to find Jesus, you want to find life, you want to find hope, you want to hear his voice, it comes through reading his word. Why is this the truth? Well, because Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus loves you, everybody. So since Jesus is the subject, and we'll close with this last point, and we're the object, here's the question. Don't put it on the screen yet. What's the verb? What's the verb of the Bible? Oh, I got this, Pastor Red. I mean, it's obvious. The verb is love. Not even close. <laughs> Love's a motivation. Yeah. Love is the foundation. But the verb, the action, is this. The verb is give. It's greater than love. John 3, 16, most famous verse in Scripture. For God so loved the world that he did what? That he gave. God loved us so much that he didn't just hold on to his love. He gave his love. He gave his love. What was his love? His one and only son. That whoever believes in Jesus shall not perish, but have eternal life. My friends, love is not only expressed. I, the greatest expression of love is giving. It's the greatest expression. What did God give? He gave his son. He gave us something that no one else on the planet was in line to do for us. I don't know. Last time I checked, there wasn't anybody behind me standing in line to be murdered and slaughtered on a cross to pay for my sin, my guilt, my shame, to put me into a relationship with God. How about you? No, God loved us enough that he put a plan in place from the very beginning of time to rescue us, to redeem us, to reconcile us, to bridge the gap of our unholiness and to bring us into the presence of a holy God. His name is Jesus. He's the son of God. He's the savior of the world. And he's here in this room with his arms wide open telling you, church, I love you. I will never forsake you. I never have. I am here today and I want to do a miracle in your life. I want to transform your life if you'll let me. What do I need to do? Ha, you don't have to do anything. 
What do you mean? You simply receive. You simply receive. Romans 10, 9 said, if you just confess with your mouth, believe in your heart that Jesus Christ, Son of God, you'll be saved. You'll experience life. Jesus, he's real. It's not a game. He's alive. He's living. He's the only one that expressed the greatest love that you and I will ever experience. It's the love of him laying down his life so that you and I could have life. That's why we celebrate. That's why we're passionate. That's why we do what we do. So as Christians, our life is not meant to be marked by fear in a world that's losing control. Our life is to be marked by the love of God and the character of giving that love back to a broken and hurting world and to be the light of the world and the salt of the earth. But we can't do it if we're living in sin. We can't do it if there's separation. God needs to bring, to bridge that gap. He needs to bridge that gap and he did it through Jesus. So we you bow your head and close your eyes? Don't be looking around. If you're here today and you know, you know who you are. We've all been there. We've all been at the place where we recognize We just can't do this anymore. Some of you are sick and tired of being sick and tired. You've tried this on your own for so long. Some of you have tried religion. Some of you have tried doing the right thing. Some of you just tried to be a good person. You're feeling this separation. You're feeling this gap. And it's, it's like, I don't want to feel this way. And God says, I know, I understand. I don't want this to feel this way either. I gave you Jesus. And if you'll just accept him and believe in him, a miracle will take place in your life. And that gap will be destroyed. Your sin, your guilt, your shame, your pain will be removed. He will remove it as far as the east is from the west. He's that good. It's a miracle. God wants that for you. He's not mad at you. God loves you so much that he made a way for you and for me to experience him, to come back into this relationship, to experience the story of the Bible, which is Jesus, to experience his love and his gift of giving. So if you're in this room today, I promise you this, I'm not gonna embarrass you in any way. I'm not gonna call you down front. But if you're in this room, you know, you know, you read, uh, my sin has separated me from God and uh, I need forgiveness. And more than that, I just want a relationship with God. Some of you have been a Christian all your life and this is the first time you've heard some of this. And the light bulb moment's going off, you're going, man, I don't even know if I have a relationship with God. I want you to know that if that's you today, you have a moment. Good news, Jesus is here. You can have a relationship with him. So I won't say anything else. If you wanna give your heart to Christ, come in a relationship with God, have your sin removed. Can I encourage you? Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. But would you be so bold to raise your hand all across this room? Let me know who you are this morning. God bless you. Anybody else? This greatest decision of your life. My friends, don't leave this room today. Don't leave this room today not making this decision if you're on the fence. God bless you, sir. This is the single greatest decision of your life. You're not promised your next breath. The moment you walk out of this room, you don't have a clue what's gonna happen to you. But I'll tell you this, you don't wanna leave this room not knowing that you're in a relationship with God and that your sins are forgiven and that you're going to heaven and have eternal, eternal paradise with God. Anybody else? I feel like there's... I don't want to close this moment. Is there anybody else? Okay, you can put your hands down. Would you say this prayer? Just mean it with all your heart. God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for Jesus. I believe that Jesus is the son of God. Jesus is the savior of the world. And today I put my faith, 
I put my trust and I put my hope in him. I give you my life. I give you everything. Now pray this. Say, God, forgive me. Cleanse me. Come change me. Live on the inside of me. Thank you for the greatest gift, the gift of love and the gift of life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, guys, we had some people make decisions for Christ today. Can you throw your hands together and welcome them to the family? Come on, celebrate. Yeah.